0: Hello, my name is Anthony Hudson and welcome to my podcast, The Masterminds. Please join me as I bring interviews with some of the very best in the world of sports, from top football managers, club chairmen, sports psychologists, and the leading experts in the world of analytics, team culture, and leadership. The purpose of this podcast, and it has been since the very beginning, is twofold. Firstly, coach development, which is a huge passion of mine. Another passion in my life is animals, specifically animal welfare. Millions and millions of homeless dogs and cats are killed in American shelters each year, and we can make a difference. I've recently partnered with Poor Chicago, which is one of the few non-kill animal shelters in the country. Poor Chicago have built a national no-kill model that has reduced the number of pets killed in Chicago by 92% since they were founded. It's an incredible place and it's an incredible charity. So through education, through awareness, through sponsorship, through support, we can make a difference. Every single dollar that goes towards a no-kill model like this goes directly towards saving a life. So please share, like, comment on this podcast. And for more information about this initiative, please visit www.sportingmasterminds.com where you can find all the information. So, please enjoy the podcast. Next up, a man who has a huge influence on teams and coaches. With a background in exercise physiology and sports psychology, he's gone on to work with the Dutch FA, several top international teams, He's competed at four World Cups and four Euros, and he's also worked with several of the top clubs in Europe also alongside some great, great managers. Please welcome Mr Raymond Verheyen. Well, Raymond, firstly, it's a a real privilege to get you on today. Thank you so much for your time, your CV, your experience. You worked at the very highest level in the game, World Cups, many World Cups, some of the biggest clubs in the world alongside some top, top managers. And of course, your experience in coach education I'm, uh, it's something I'm very familiar with having attended one of your courses and well a few courses now and read books um, so really, really looking forward to chatting to you and thank you for your time
1: Yeah, you're welcome I, uh, I saw some of your questions so um, was, uh, I was looking forward to this conversation
0: Well, the first thing I want to ask you about is your latest book Football Braining it's a, a really, really interesting title I'm actually trying to get a copy of it myself right now um but can you just share a little bit about the book
1: yeah the the football braining book is uh is, is basically the uh at least for the time being a a end product of uh of a, a seven year journey basically um because uh, around um, seven years ago i um, yeah i was i was so fed up with uh with how people were uh, applying psychology in general and and knowledge about the brain in in football that i decided to uh to start to study it myself and uh and translate all that knowledge myself because it's it's obvious that in the world of psychology and the world of brain science it's very obvious that there is an enormous amount of valuable information, knowledge for us football coaches to, uh, to take on board and to apply. But um, what you often see worldwide is that people from outside football, they step into the football world with good intentions. So the intentions are okay. But then they start to share information in non-contextual language, like uh, things like confidence, uh, concentration, uh, mental toughness. uh, And and I can go on uh, with these words and and make a list of maybe 100 words. Yes. And the problem with this non-contextual language is that you are not saying what you really mean. Uh, if you use a general non-contextual word you must be very very lucky if the person that you talk to has exactly the same definition of that word so sometimes in courses i uh, i ask people to write down what is the definition of uh, mental or what is the definition of mental toughness and if i ask that question to 50 people i get 50 more or less different answers well and that is what i'm talking about yeah, so the, if the, the problem is that if you use non-contextual language, you make people interpret what you mean rather than that you are explaining what you mean. So with psychology and brain science, the information with good intentions was shared with the football world in a non-contextual way And if you define psychological problems in football in a non-contextual way, the logical consequence is that non-contextual problems will be solved non-contextually. And then football players end up with non-contextual exercises trying to solve a non-contextual problem. In other words, a problem in the football context defined in a non-contextual way. Yeah, and I I don't have to explain to you probably that uh, that is the beginning of chaos. Yeah, so it it goes all over the place. So seven years ago, I I decided that that I had enough of this uh, well-intended non-contextual chaos. And that I um, wanted to develop a football psychology reference. So... I already had a universal football reference. So, what I had to do is, I had to use the the universal football reference as a starting point. And then I had to identify the role of the brain in that universal football reference. And then develop that further, which would then result in a sub reference, A, a specification of the universal football reference uh, in the direction of the brain, the role of the brain in football. So in those seven years, I I read hundreds of books, I did courses, I I went to presentations, et cetera, and and I developed this uh, football thinking sub-reference. So football brain reference gradually evolved into football thinking reference. Because if you if you use the word football brain, you are still not saying what you wanna improve, right? Because the brain is just a, a general thing. But then you still make people guess how that looks on a football pitch. So football braining gradually developed into football thinking. And what I did was I developed a football thinking sub-reference. So um, just to uh, give a a practical example, the universal football reference uh, is, uh, the the four characteristics are uh, better football actions. uh, You want to improve the quality of football actions, more football actions per minute, uh, because you want to improve the quantity of football actions, which allows you to play with a higher tempo. And you want to maintain those two abilities for 90 minutes. You want to maintain the quality, so you want to maintain good actions, so you maintain the quality of football actions, the 100% for 90 minutes. And you want to maintain the quantity of football actions. You want to maintain many football actions, which allows you to play with a high tempo also in the last part of the game. So that means that you have four football characteristics, better football actions, more football actions per minute, maintain good football actions, and maintain many football actions. So those four characteristics uh, is, what, is what I meant with a universal football reference. And that reference was already there seven years ago because I used those same four characteristics when you talk, for example, about football fitness. So then I used these four characteristics to translate physiology to the football context. Now I was going to use those four characteristics to translate psychology to the football context. So what I had to do is I had to define the role of the brain in general and thinking in particular within those four football characteristics if you talk about better actions so you want to improve the quality of your football actions from 100% to 101% you are talking about the action itself yeah so now you are talking about your thinking during the action. So, for example, the player goes one against one with the goalkeeper. Is his thinking, his attention focused on the action? Or is he going to think about external factors like, oh, where is the goalkeeper? Or hopefully I don't miss. Or if I miss, we will lose, etc. Yeah. So is the player thinking task? Or is the player thinking external factors? In other words, is the external factor, and that can be anything, distracting his attention away from the task? So when you talk about the quality of a football action, yeah, the football thinking characteristic is think action. Yeah? In general, it is think task. But in a football context, it means think action. So, the football, the overall football characteristic is better football actions, and as an integral part of better football actions, you have the football thinking characteristic, think action. So, that was the first football thinking characteristic. Okay, let's go to the second overall football characteristic, more actions per minute. If you talk about more actions per minute, now the variable is not the action itself, but the variable is now the time between the actions. One moment you can make two actions in 30 seconds. The next moment you can make three actions in 30 seconds, more actions in 30 seconds. Which means that now when you make three actions in 30 seconds, The time between the actions is now no longer 30 seconds, but 15 seconds. So the time between the actions is the variable. So in terms of the role of thinking within more actions per minute, you are now talking about the thinking in between actions. So I go one against one with the goalkeeper. I try to score and I miss. The goalkeeper throws the ball to his right fullback, and there is a transition moment. And now I have a thinking choice. Am I going to think next action? In other words, I'm going to transition. Or am I going to think last action? Oh, how can I miss this chance? If I am able to think next action, I will make more actions per minute. The time between the actions will be short. If I think last action, I will be walking or standing still, thinking about the last action, which will result in less actions per minute. So, the second overall football thinking characteristic was more actions per minute. And the football thinking characteristic, uh, as an integral part of that, is think next action. Think next action is the role of the brain in in general and thinking in particular when you talk about more actions per minute. So think next action is the second football thinking characteristic. The first one was think action as an integral part of better actions. The second football thinking characteristic is think next action. As an integral part of more actions per minute. And now, in the second half, you want to maintain those two football thinking characteristics. If you want to maintain good actions, if you want to maintain 100% quality actions in the second half, you want to maintain think action. And if you want to maintain many actions per minute, you want to maintain think next action. And those are the third and the fourth football thinking characteristic. The first one was think action. The second one was think next action. The third one was maintain think action. And the fourth one was maintain think next action. So now based on the universal football reference that was already there, I have now developed a sub-reference as an integral part. The football thinking sub-reference with the four football thinking characteristics. And with those four football thinking characteristics, I have now specified how the brain in general and thinking in particular, influences football. So if somebody now has what people traditionally call a psychological problem or a mental problem or a whatever problem, now you can be much more precise. What is the problem with this player? Is he not able to think task already in the beginning of the game? So then think action itself is the problem. Or does the player have a thinking problem in between actions? In other words, he is uh, distracted by the outcome of previous actions or previous events, resulting in not thinking about what he's supposed to do next. Or are those abilities themselves not the problem? But do they become a problem in the second half? In other words, he cannot maintain those two thinking abilities. Yes. So now we are no longer talking about, for example, concentration. No, it is think pressing or think passing. We are no longer talking about mental toughness. No, we are talking about whatever happens around you, think next action. Don't think one nil down, think pressing. Don't think I am tired, think transitioning. Don't think referee, think passing. Yes? If you use words like mental toughness, yeah, nobody has a clue what you're talking about. Just imagine that you are a player and that the coach says you don't have mental toughness. Well, first of all, you don't know what you're doing wrong. And secondly, you don't know what you should do instead. If you say, hey, you cannot maintain think next action because the moment we are two nil down, you start to think about two nil down and you are walking or standing still rather than pressing. First of all, the player can now check whether that is actually happening in in his brain and if he recognizes it, so he becomes consciously incompetent. Then the player knows what he should do instead. And don't think to kneel down. Think pressing. Next action. So now the player can try to become consciously competent, and then hopefully eventually it will be will become second nature, and then the player is unconsciously competent. So with this reference, this football thinking reference that I developed in my football braining journey of seven years, with this reference, uh, the next step, what I did was I translated all the non-contextual psychological knowledge into football knowledge using the reference that I just described. And that resulted in the football braining book, which is officially called football coaching theory because you are using knowledge about the brain and uh, knowledge about psychology, but only as a tool to allow people to improve their coaching. So the, the psychology and the brain knowledge is only a tool. And improving football coaching is the objective. So that's why i decided to use the, the title football coaching theory and it's part one eh? there will be three parts um and uh and that is why i said eh, for the time being it is the end result uh, because next year uh we will have part two and then part three uh, but yeah in in a nutshell if you can call this a nutshell uh in a nutshell Uh, This is what uh, the new football braining book is about, Uh, presenting a football psychology reference, a football psychology language, and then translate non-contextual language into football or non-contextual knowledge into football knowledge. And um, yeah, I think the book will be available from uh, July one.
0: That's fascinating, and I really appreciate you sharing that, Raymond. Uh, so w- the main focus there was about players that you spoke about. So w- w- you know how we can coach our players better, how we can get them to think differently, think better. What about with coaches and managers? Obviously, we have our uh, you know different ideas about the game. We learn in a certain way. We we take ideas off the other coaches. Uh, We see the game and we see things we like and we we take things on, you know, into our own environment. Do you have anything in the book that that talks about how uh, coaches can think better and and, and think differently in order to make them a better coach?
1: That is um, the initial part, the initial part when I talk about the brain and psychology. The initial part is about the thinking of the coach. And the second part is about translating your thinking to your players or transferring, transferring your thinking to the players. And then uh, the, the, the transfer of your thinking to the players uh, has the objective of developing self regulating players. Yeah, so in the, in, in the first part of the book, I describe how the how thinking in itself works and how you develop knowledge how the coach develops knowledge in the second part i describe how the coach can share his knowledge with his players in an attempt to make his players more knowledgeable to develop more comprehension in the brain of his players which allows players to evaluate themselves better. Uh, they have more self-reflections, and as a result, self-regulation. Yeah. So both the thinking of the coach and the thinking of the player is covered in uh, in the
0: book. Okay. So when we're talking about coaches developing knowledge, I I know in my personal experience, you know, there's I. Watched other managers work. There's certain things I've liked. I've adopted certain things that I, I like. There's things that I don't like. Uh, that there's principles of play. There's certain styles of play that I really have believed in and uh, and and taken into my own sort of personal philosophy. And I've had situations as well where I've taken things on board and I've tried them in my own context and it just hasn't worked. It hasn't worked in my context that I'm working in. So. When it comes to coaches, what what is the most efficient way for coaches to to develop their own knowledge?
1: Um, Well, I think everybody who is listening uh, probably recognise what you just said. And I think that the last four months are a beautiful example of that. In the last four months, many coaches around the world were locked Uh, in their own house, for safety reasons. So they were not uh, able or allowed to uh, coach their players. So everybody was at home, or at least many of us. What was the consequence? That football coaches started to go online even more than in the past. And what you have seen in the last four months is a tsunami of information. But unfortunately, 95% or more of all the information that has been shared on the internet in the last four months, and again, eh, with good intentions, eh? so these were not bad people, or eh, it was with good intentions, but what we have seen is that we have been bombarded by arbitrary information. So information that is not factually true, and not information that is knowledge, but subjective information, opinions, past experiences. Um, And the reason why this has been done, and the reason why many have not uh, experienced this as a problem, is because many people in the football world thinks Everything is an opinion. Yeah, the football world is a very subjective world where people think that everything is an opinion, everything is debatable, there is no truth. Yes, that, that is how most people think. Well, let's go, all, let's go back to basics. Yeah? So I have described the football world, the landscape. Now, let's, let's put that in perspective. The subjective football world where people can say whatever they want, they can do whatever they want as long as they win. Yes? We don't have a universal football language. FIFA has not developed a universal football language. So what you see is that every football coach has developed his own terminology. How sad is that? Just imagine that pilots would all use their own language. What's gonna happen? Miscommunication. Yeah. Chaos. Yeah. Plane crashes because miscommunication between the pilot and traffic control and uh, etc. So in serious professions, in situations of life and death. Everybody understands the importance of a universal language. Why? Because people cannot afford miscommunication because miscommunication has consequences. So the fact that we don't have a universal football language means that people either don't care about miscommunication, in other words, miscommunication is fine in the football world or people don't know what they don't know yes and then they are listening now to me right now and they think yeah good point why didn't i think of this myself in the past so really we are working in a subjective football world where people all develop their own alphabet they all develop their own grammar They all speak their own language. And then they try to share opinions and experiences in a language that somebody else doesn't speak or understand. That's a pretty sad picture, right? So first of all, I use my own alphabet. Then I use my own grammar. I speak my own language. And as if that is not already chaotic enough. I am, the information that I'm sharing is arbitrary and subjective rather than reliable and objective. Yeah, no, that is the football world in a nutshell. And if you have been on the Internet in the last four months, you have been bombarded by this kind of chaos. Again, well intended, but absolute chaos. So, like I said, let's go back to basics. You are ill and you have to see a doctor. And now you can choose between two doctors. One doctor with a lot of medical knowledge and one doctor with a lot of medical experience. Which doctor are you going to choose? What would you say?
2: Me personally yes i would i would take the doctor with medical knowledge yes and maybe
1: there is an exception on the rule of somebody or somebody who sticks his heels in the ground but a big majority of people and maybe everybody will choose the doctor with a lot of medical knowledge not because experience is irrelevant because experience is also important but because knowledge is of a higher order than experience. Yeah, so we are not saying knowledge is good and experience is bad. So it's not a matter of right or wrong or good or bad. No, it is a matter of what is of a higher order than the other. And objective knowledge is of a higher order than subjective experience. And that is why a big majority of people and maybe even everybody would choose the doctor with a lot of medical knowledge because knowledge is reliable objective information that you can trust and experience is subjective and arbitrary it might be right but it could also be wrong yes okay so what i've done now first of all uh, by asking a question also to everybody who is listening and everybody who is listening has probably answered that question for him or herself. And and they probably also chose medical knowledge. So now we have a, a, a starting point. Knowledge is of a higher order than experience. Let's go back to the football world. Which person has more status in the football world? which person is higher in the football food chain somebody who is very knowledgeable or somebody who has played 100 games for the national team in other words he has a lot of experience at the highest level who 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 is higher in the food chain what would you say it's the the
2: one with the experience
1: yes so if you are ill you choose knowledge over experience. But now in the football world, people choose experience over knowledge. Yeah. Well, I, I can already say now I rest my case. I, I won't rest my case, but you understand what I mean? Eh? Yeah. So you basically, you, what I'm doing right now is putting a big mirror in front of everybody. This is how sad the football world is. Yeah. When you are ill, you you choose knowledge over experience, but when you are coaching football, you choose experience over knowledge. Yeah, and there's not a single argument for that choice. That is just how it is. Yeah, and and that is how sad the football world is. And that is why it's such a chaotic jungle. Yeah? Survival of the fittest and. Everybody is hoping that he wins Saturday so that he uh, he has survived another week. Yeah? It's all symptoms of a chaotic, subjective jungle without knowledge and universal language. So the next question now is, uh, if, if you choose knowledge over experience, if, if in the real world knowledge is of a higher order than experience, The next question is, what is the role of experience? Is there a role for subjectivity? So knowledge are the facts. Knowledge is the what? That is basically what you can say. Knowledge is the what that you apply. Experience, subjectivity is the application of knowledge. Because I can have all the knowledge that I want as a starting point. So that's the what. But it doesn't mean that I will always apply that knowledge in the same way. Because if I work with team one, the environment, the external factors will be different than when I work with team two. So if I apply my knowledge, In situation one, I have to anticipate different external factors compared to when I apply the exact same knowledge in situation number two with different external factors. In other words, wherever you work, knowledge is always the same, but the subjective application of this objective knowledge will always be different in different situations, because you have to anticipate different external factors. So knowledge is of the highest order. That is the objective what, and what you are going to do, your intentions. Experience is your how. The subjective application, the how. How are you going to apply the knowledge given certain external factors? So knowledge is the what, that is of the highest order, and experience it means subjective application, the how. That is of a lower order. But it's also very important because if you are very knowledgeable, but at the level of subjective application, you are very poor, then all your knowledge is in vain. It is ineffective. You are basically living in an ivory tower. Yes. So knowledge and experience is both important, one at the level of the what, knowledge, the other experience at the level of the how, application, But knowledge is of a higher order than experience. And what is the problem now in the football world? That there is no universal language, and there is no universal knowledge. There are no universal football references. Everybody is inventing his own wheel. So 100 clubs have 100 different ways of analyzing football. How sad is that? Yeah. Just imagine, 100 countries have 100 different ways of evaluating a plane crash. Yeah, that's gonna be chaos, global chaos. So FIFA should implement universal language and FIFA should implement universal football languages or football references. But because that's not there, What are people now in practice, what are they subjectively applying instead of objective knowledge? They are subjectively applying subjective opinions. They are subjectively applying subjective experiences. So subjectivity times subjectivity. Yeah, In normal life, you call that chaos. Subjective application of objective knowledge, yeah, that is what people are doing in any profession. Because if I'm a surgeon and I have knowledge, objective knowledge about protocols of heart surgery and all of a sudden there is a, a spontaneous bleeding, I have to anticipate external factors. Yeah, So in the middle of surgery. There is a bleeding. Yeah. So I have to anticipate external factors. So surgeons also have subjective application of objective knowledge. A pilot has very clear objective references, but a pilot is also subjectively anticipating external factors, subjectively applying objective references. Because if you have uh, an engine failure, maybe you end up landing your plane in the Hudson River. Yes? That was not in the textbook. That, nobody told me uh, when I was doing my pilot education, nobody told me to uh, land the plane in the river, but it had to be done. The pilot had to do it. So the pilot had to anticipate external factors, So even in professions of life and death, people are anticipating external factors. So pilots, uh, Navy SEALs, uh, surgeons, they are all anticipating external factors. So they are all subjectively applying objective knowledge. So they all have knowledge and they all have experience. What is the problem in the football world? There is no no universal football knowledge that everybody uh, uh, adopts, and that everybody respects, that everybody applies. Everybody is inventing his own wheel. So a pilot is subjectively applying objective knowledge. A football coach is subjectively applying subjective opinions. Or subjectively applying subjective experiences. Once again, how sad is that? Yeah. So, um, based on my philosophical, um, my philosophical thinking that I shared with you in the last uh, uh, ten, twenty minutes, uh, you can imagine. How low the level is in the football world it's very low it's very very low yeah and we have many people around the world in the football world who think they are very very good yeah but they are they are relatively good if you understand what i mean because uh, they are better in subjectively applying subjective opinion yes but in absolute terms it's not top, they are less bad, if you understand what I mean. So they are relatively good, they are less bad than everybody else. But they are still part of a very subjective world. Yeah. With coaching based on arbitrary information. So the only solution, the only solution is to develop universal football language and Universal football references, which allows us, uh, because those football references we can use as a filter to translate general knowledge into football knowledge. Uh, And remember, just remember what I explained in the beginning of our conversation. I had a universal football reference, better actions, more actions. Maintain good actions, maintain many actions. I developed a sub-reference within that football reference. So, as an integral part of better actions, I developed think action. So, the football thinking characteristic within the football characteristic, better actions. And the same for the other three characteristics. So, I developed four football thinking characteristics, and those football thinking characteristics I can now use as a filter to translate general psychology knowledge into football knowledge. So either psychology knowledge contributes to think action, think next action, maintain think action, or maintain think-next action. And if it doesn't contribute to one or more of those football thinking characteristics, it means that it is irrelevant in football. So now we can leave the garbage outside the football world. Yes? So we, with the football references, we can translate the relevant information from non-contextual knowledge into football knowledge, and we can use those football references as a filter to leave all the knowledge that does not contribute to the football performance outside the football world. And that is the only way that we can solve the problem that I just described, the, the subjective, chaotic. Flavor of the Month football world. And the book that I published is an example of uh, translating psychology knowledge to the football world. The football braining book that I described was translating physiological knowledge into the football world. But you can do the same, and I'm I'm doing the same with other uh, uh, world experts. we are also doing projects right now to develop a football strength training reference and a football nutrition reference and a football rehab reference and a football tactics reference and a football technique training reference and a football a um, uh, goalkeeper goalkeeper training reference. Um, so basically, you are doing the same trick but with a different area of expertise, and then step by step, we can solve the problem and we can develop the subjective football world in a more objective football world so that uh, because. You can only subjectively apply objective football knowledge if there is objective football knowledge. So you have to develop objective football knowledge and then you can subjectively apply it. Yeah. And that is the process. And that is also why I started 10 years ago the World Football Academy, which has evolved into football coach evolution uh, last year, because I thought uh, World Football Academy, Academy is more, uh, it it sounds like school, and it sounds like uh, as if we are working with players, while in reality, you are are helping lifelong students of the game, Uh, you, you wanna help football coaches, who want to evolve their whole life, their whole career. So that is why Football Coach Evolution, so World Football Academy evolved into Football Coach Evolution. And um, hopefully in the upcoming years, we can uh, present more and more football
0: references and subsequent football knowledge. Raymond, it's fascinating to hear you speak. And I'm really mindful of the time here because I've got loads of questions in front of me and not a lot of time left. But there is one that really sticks out to me that I want to ask you. Um, I've been on I've been on several of your courses. The last one in New Zealand when I was the national team manager there over in Auckland. And one thing I noticed in in the courses, uh, you, you you're you're very direct. Uh, I, I responded really well in the course. I thought it was fantastic and what I felt it did, it just raised the standard of everyone in the room. I liked it, I liked that environment. Uh, what I'm curious about, and I wanna ask you is, you know, what, what is your coaching style? Why do you coach the way you do? Uh, and also, do you adapt the way you coach if you're working with a different group or if you're working with players? Um, I'm just, just really curious as to know what your approach is.
1: Well, to to, to start with the last point, I never do with my players what I do in a course. Uh, Not literally, at least. Why? What I do in a course, what you just described, is predominantly because of personal development. And I will explain what I mean with that. Because sometimes coaches in the classroom think That I am doing the things that I do in the classroom, pretending that the coaches then should do the same thing with their players. But that's not the point. The the reason why I educate coaches the way I educate them has to do with personal development. And I will explain to you what I mean with that. If a coach works with a certain group of players, This coach has certain expectations of these players. And that can vary from uh, everybody has to be in time. Uh, Every day you have to train at 100%. Um, If there is a team meeting, players uh, should think about the team meeting. And players should not be messing around with their phone uh, when the coach is talking. Uh, After the team meeting or after lunch, Everybody has to clean his own mess. All these things. And you are familiar with it. Uh, The people who are listening are familiar with it. Yes? Every coach has more or less expectations of his players. Okay. And there are obviously reasons why they have those expectations. eh? That They want their players to be disciplined and uh, always... Uh, train and play at 100%. There's a reason why coaches have those expectations. Well, and then those coaches with all those expectations, they come to my classroom. They step into my classroom. And then what do I see? Kindergarten. I see kindergarten. So all these coaches with their big mouth and their high expectations All of a sudden, they seem to have forgotten all the expectations that they have of their players. So what happens when coaches are going to a coaching course? They come too late. Yeah. Have you ever been in a coaching course where coaches came too late? Yes or no? Yeah. Is that the rule or the exception on the rule that coaches come too late? No, I mean, it happens quite a lot. Yeah, it's, it's common practice. Eh? And then you hear all the excuses like uh, uh, traffic or whatever. Yeah, uh, But when their players come too late, then they have an opinion about their players. Okay, next point. Have you ever been in a coaching course where coaches had their mobile phone on the table in front of them? And was the, is that the rule or the exception on the rule? What would you say? No, it, that again happens a lot. Yeah, it's the rule. Yeah. So when the coach is talking to his players, he wants full attention and the players are not allowed to mess around with their phone. But when I deliver a course, they can mess around with their phone. That's what you call double standards. That is, and these people are hypocrites because they don't practice what they preach. If, um, if, a, if a player in a team meeting is uh, leaving earlier, before the end of the team meeting, is that okay as a coach? Yeah, when you are doing an evaluation or you do a team meeting uh, for the next game or or whatever, is it okay for... For, for players to walk in and out without communicating with the coach, can players walk in and out or should they communicate with the coach? What would you say?
2: Yeah, it's not okay. It's not okay to do that.
1: Yeah. But if you think back to the coaching courses that you have done in the past, did coaches walk in and out of the room at their own convenience without communicating with the instructor? Yes or no? Yeah. Was that
2: the rule or the exception on the rule? That was the rule. I remember it happening. Actually. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and I can go on and on forever eh? because, uh, uh, coaches are also when I do a course or when I did a course 10 years ago, eh? because that is how I should say it. Coaches also left early for whatever reason. Yeah. So then I say to those coaches, Hey, listen, the course is still five o'clock. Yeah. And now you are leaving at four o'clock and you think that is OK, that is normal behavior. But what about you coming to a course, the program says five o'clock and now I, the instructor, leave at four because I have to catch the plane to the next city. Would that be OK? Or would you now think that I'm an amateur instructor? Yeah, And of course, asking the question is answering the question. So if the instructor leaves one hour early, it is not okay. But the coaches in the room, they can leave one hour early for whatever reason. Again, do you see that's double standards? And like I said, I can go on and on and on with examples. And that is what I meant with kindergarten. So when coaches are coaching players, they have all these expectations of their players, but then when they step into a course, they think they can do whatever they want, and they act like tourists. Yeah? And the problem is, all these coach educators around the world, they just let this happen. They allow it to happen, which then says something about all these coach educators around the world. Yes, and that is, a, that is another reason why the bar is so low in the football world. Coaches are allowed to do whatever they want. Yes, as long as they win. Yeah, they have all these expectations of their players. Yeah? If there is a transition moment and a player is not transitioning, they are shouting to their players. But when those same coaches come to a course, they can do whatever they want so at some stage 10 whatever years ago i decided okay it doesn't matter eh? it makes no sense to share my knowledge with all these coaches who behave like shit yes because i can share all the knowledge i want but if they are such bad role models they will mess up at home anyway it doesn't it, it doesn't matter how much knowledge they have at the level of subjective application they will mess up anyway because they are they don't practice what they preach so their players will not take them seriously so from then on from then on i decided that i had the same expectations of the coaches in the classroom that the coaches had of their players. So everybody is in time. Nobody's messing around with his phone. Everybody is cleaning his mess. Nobody is leaving early. If you have to go to the toilet, you have to go to the toilet. But you communicate with me. You are not going to walk in and out at your own convenience because you also do not accept that. From your players yeah and then you see and you have probably seen it yourself in uh, in the courses that you uh, have been in with me you see how much coaches struggle with that and you know what that means that coaches basically struggle with their own expectations of other people and that is what i meant with personal development so coaches struggle with being in time but their players have to be in time coaches struggle to leave their phone but their players have to leave their phone coaches struggle to communicate if they have to go to the toilet but the players have to communicate when they have to go to the toilet coaches struggle not to talk in the back of the room with the coach next to him but players should not talk to each other during a team meeting and again i can go on and on and on eh? So at the level of coach behavior, do you once again see how sad that is? It's really sad. It's really sad. a really sad world with a very low bar. Yes? But most people, they think that this coach behavior, this hypocrite double standard coach behavior is normal because nobody is showing them the mirror. Nobody. All these coach educators, who also think that they are really good they all let this happen they all leave those coaches in their comfort zone well if I ask you as a coach yeah, if you want to improve your players as a coach should you leave your players inside their comfort zone or should you take them outside their comfort zone what, what would you say?
2: you have to take them outside their comfort zone
1: yeah, If a coach educator wants to improve coaches, should he leave the coaches inside the comfort zone or should he take them outside their comfort zone? Outside. Absolutely. Yes. And what are most coach educators doing? They leave the coaches inside the comfort zone. Yeah? They don't show them the mirror in terms of their double standards, uh, their lack of role model behaviour, etc. Why? Probably because the coach educator himself is not a good role model. Yeah, he has those same low standards. Or deep inside, the coach educator doesn't feel good enough, strong enough to challenge those coaches. Uh, that is another possibility because you must be strong as a coach educator to challenge 50 people in front of you yeah and not everybody is strong enough or feels that he's good enough to do that and then the last thing the last thing and that is the best example in terms of personal development And that is maybe even a more important reason why I do what I do. And I'm going to start with a metaphor. Just imagine that there is a child. And this child grows up with a very strong authority, but in a negative way, like a dictator. Either the father figure or the teacher. Or a coach, so the child is six or eight years old, and the child experiences authority, but in a negative way. Yeah, with subsequent negative emotions. But because the child is not old enough, the child is not conscious of what is happening. So in the unconscious brain, the child stores a let's call it a button in his unconscious brain an anti-authority button a negative association negative emotions associated with authority okay and then this child with this unconscious anti-authority button in his brain grows up and becomes an adult and then by the time this uh This person is, let's say, 25 or 35 years old. This person is driving on the highway. And then all of a sudden, a police car pulls him over to the side of the highway. And then the police officer steps outside the the car and walks towards that person. And without the police officer having said anything, this person is already emotional and talking with a loud voice and already being aggressive to the police officer who is just doing his job and who hasn't said anything yet. What has happened in that situation? police officer, uniform, authority, so an authority stimulus to the brain, triggering the anti-authority button in the unconscious brain of that person, activating the emotions that belong to when this person was eight years old. These emotions are activated. And now this person unconsciously is projecting those emotions onto the police officer who hasn't said a word yet. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, do you understand what I'm the situation that I'm describing?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm following it.
1: And every human being, every human being has buttons like this. Maybe not literally this button, but different buttons, but similar buttons. Yeah. So because of your because of everything that has happened in your life you develop associations yeah you develop unconscious associations buttons who belong to the past but because you are not aware of those buttons in your unconscious brain and you are not conscious of those unconscious buttons Every now and then, those buttons are accidentally triggered, activated, and you think that how you feel at that moment has to do with that moment. But in reality, it has to do with the past. But you are not aware of that. Your unconscious brain is basically your library of life. Yes everything that you have experienced is stored in your library of life, your unconscious brain. And those buttons are every now and then accidentally triggered. And the same happens with football coaches. And if you, as a football coach, if you are not conscious of your unconscious brain, If you are not conscious of the unconscious buttons in your brain, you know what will happen? You can be the most knowledgeable person in the world, but every now and then, a player, a referee, a fan, a board member, a sponsor, a journalist, accidentally, accidentally pushes one of the buttons that belong to your past as a result because the button is pushed you are overreacting or reacting in a different way than you should so basically you are shooting yourself in your own foot Uh, you are not doing yourself any justice because in the previous nine times You reacted in a certain way in a certain situation. And now in in exactly the same situation, you are all of a sudden reacting differently. And then the players think, huh, what's wrong with the coach? Yesterday he reacted like this. And now all of a sudden he reacts like that. So that is confusing for your players. So now your players will be more careful with you. Because you become unpredictable for your players, so you are distancing yourself from your players, but without you even knowing it, right? So you are shooting yourself in your own foot. Why am I sharing this metaphor with the police car and the and, and the person with the anti authority button? Personal development. Uh, is again a, g- a general non-contextual word. Personal development means that you become conscious of your unconscious buttons. The moment you are conscious of your unconscious buttons, it allows you in the future to either avoid certain situations so that your button is no longer pushed, Or, because sometimes certain situations are unavoidable, that at least you see the stimulus coming so that you know, okay, now my button is about to be activated, so you can do damage control. Ideally, you avoid situations so that your buttons are no longer pushed, or you are aware of those situations and you can do damage control yes so you either avoid or you manage the buttons and now now your knowledge and your coaching ability will blossom more you will become a more effective coach so now, to, now let's go back to my classroom. Why am I pushing people? Why am I pushing people in my classroom, which I in fact call my dressing room? Why am I pushing people in my dressing room, taking them outside their comfort zone, trying to overload their brain? Why am I doing that? Because I I hope that I am accidentally pushing one or more buttons in your unconscious brain so that you can then reflect, hey, Raymond said this, why do I now have this emotion? Which button did Raymond accidentally push in my unconscious brain? Yes. Yes. So I allow you to be more conscious of your unconscious brain by overloading your brain, hoping that I push one or more of your buttons. And then afterwards you can say, thank you. Thank you for taking the time and the effort to overload my brain, exposing one or more buttons, because I am now aware of those buttons. Which means that from now on, in the future, I, as a human being in general, and as a coach in particular, I will be less vulnerable in the jungle. Yes. My buttons will now be pushed less frequently without me knowing it. So thank you for overloading my brain in the classroom. Yes. Well. How many coach educators take the time and the effort to do that? No, they just go to a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, click, 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 click. Everybody understand? Okay, here's your diploma. Good luck. That's not coach education. Yes. So in the first part of our conversation, we spoke about knowledge. Yeah. That is that is my first job as a coach educator. And the second job of my coach as as a as a coach educator is personal development helping the coaches in front of me to become more conscious of their unconscious brain so that they can protect themselves better in the future in the chaotic football jungle so and uh, that was again i would say, i was going to say in a nutshell but it was not a nutshell but so in a nutshell that was the answer to your last question yeah how i educate in the classroom and what and what is the thinking behind the the unconventional way of teaching football coaches so the what what I teach during a course is knowledge and how I teach has to do with personal development. So the content I teach is objective, reliable knowledge and how I teach, my unconventional way of teaching has to do with personal development.
0: Raymond, this has been fascinating. I've, I've got so many questions here that we're, we, we've run out of time. Um, we, and, I, and I do feel we could have gone into so much detail on each one of these, these topics. Um, what it's done for me listening to you, it, it really does challenge the way you think. So um, I've really appreciated this. This has been fantastic. And uh, you mentioned your book comes out July the 1st. Where, where can we get a copy of that, Raymond?
1: We... Um because of the corona situation worldwide uh, all the all the borders were closed so we were not able to uh, to send books around the world but uh, and it's still not perfect uh, because some borders are still a, a struggle but we have decided to reopen our webshop on um, fcevolution.com so fc so football coach eh? fc and if you go to the web shop uh, you can uh, you can see um, uh, the football coaching theory book amongst uh, the other books like uh, football periodization and and, uh, and and others and the other thing that you will find uh, on the web shop uh, or in the w- website i should say is uh, our new one year online mentorship That we will start uh, on September 1 and for 12 months I will cover 12 topics. So each month I will cover one topic varying from uh, football tactics to uh, football technique training, football fitness, football psychology, football strength training. So every month one topic and I will start the month Every time on the first with a one hour course, which is available for 14 days. So coaches can watch it at their own convenience. In those 14 days, coaches can send questions about that course to us. Then on every 15th of the month, we will have a pre-recorded one hour Q&A based on those questions that Q&A will also be available for 14 days until uh, the first of the next month when we start again with the new topic. And besides the one-hour course and the one-hour Q&A every month, each month I will also have extra content like one-hour interviews, conversations with experts in the in the area that we are covering that month. Yeah, so if the, if the topic is football tactics, there is a one-hour course about football tactics, a one-hour Q&A about football tactics, but also a one-hour conversation with an expert in the area of uh, football tactics. And all these sessions that I just uh, mentioned, they will all take place at an objective level like our conversation today. So no anecdotes, no opinions, no past experiences, no arbitrary subjective information, but objective information based on logical thinking, logical reasoning, and objective football references. So people who uh, are interested in that, they can also find that on our webshop and, uh, and website the one-year online mentorship. Okay, and that starts
2: September the 1st, you said?
1: Yeah, it starts September the 1st until uh, August 31 uh, next year.
2: Okay, fantastic. Well, I, I'll, I'll be certainly uh, looking at getting involved in that, so thank you for sharing that. Raymond, thank you so much for your time. This has been fat- fascinating. Thank you so much. You're
1: welcome, Anthony. Uh, good, luck, uh, good luck with your, uh, with your podcast and also uh with the charity of your podcast uh, because me as a as a vegetarian uh i'm uh, very much in 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 favor of uh of your charity so uh, well done good luck with your podcast and i i hope that you will uh also generate uh a lot of money for your charity
2: thank you i appreciate that thank you raymond um,
1: you're welcome